been with us, it's an exciting time to be with us. Uh, we're kicking off public gatherings for these last few weeks, but also today we're starting a new series, and it's a series, uh, an Advent series. Um, and the definition of Advent, uh, if you look it up in the dictionary, it's the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. A notable person, thing, or event. Advent's the time of year when the Christian church all around the world celebrates the arrival of Jesus. When we believe God entered human history in a time and a place, when he put human flesh on, when he lived the life that you and I could never live, he died the death that you and I deserve to die, he rose again. But that all started with a birth when he entered into our worlds. And so as we look, we remember his first advent, his first coming, and we look forward to his second advent or his second coming. Um, my kids just call Advent the time where we, we drink hot chocolate every day and read a book. Uh, we've got this Advent Evo we do. We always do hot chocolate with it, so they dig it for that reason. Uh, quick parent pro tip. There's a, a Devo called the best, ever, the best Gift Ever Given by a guy named Ronnie Martin. Just look into that. It's really, really helpful. Uh, great to use in the morning or at night or whatever. If you do hot chocolate with it as well, the kids really dig it. Um, so again, at Advent, we celebrate when Jesus arrived but it's also about how when, he, uh, how when he arrived, it fulfilled so much of the longing of humanity. It, it, not just the longing of humanity, but it also fulfilled hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament scriptures. And so we're going to spend the next four weeks over Advent uh, closely. Um, we're going to spend the next four weeks of this Advent series diving into one of those prophecies really closely. We're going to kind of like zoom in to one specific prophecy um, in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 9. And Isaiah was written about 700 years before the birth of Jesus, which is remarkable when you consider how vividly and accurately it describes Jesus, both his birth and his death. And so I'm going to start reading in Isaiah 7:14. It says, "Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. See the virgin will conceive, have a son and name him Emmanuel." Virgins don't conceive often as far as I know. Got a lot of children present. I'm going to keep it low key on what virgins are, all right? Isaiah 9 verse 1. And we're looking at Isaiah 9 for these next 4 weeks. Isaiah 9, verse 1 says, Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. It's almost like the war is over. We can start the party. Verse 6, the reason for this is for a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. 
He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. So there's a lot that this Messiah represents that he will bring into this world. We're going to dive into this prophecy in a second, but I really want to key in on verse 6. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There are these different names given to Jesus in this prophecy tied to his birth. Went upside to the plane. It's just a natural cold brew break. So I'm just going to look at the bright side on that. Um, This week, we're going to be diving into the idea of wonderful counselor. Um, Next week, we'll look at Jesus as the Prince of Peace. In two weeks' time, the man, the myth, the legend, John Dennard, is going to look at the idea of everlasting eternal father. Sorry, John, I thought you got more applause, dude. Tough crowd out here today. Tough crowd. And we're going to close out with our Christmas, Christmas-ish gathering. We're not going to have uh, Christmas on December 24th, Christmas Eve, like we normally do. It's going to be the 20th on the Sunday because it's 2020, and that's how gatherings work in 2020. But we'll look at Jesus as Emmanuel, God who is with us. And so today, again, we're going to dive into this idea of Jesus as our wonderful counselor. And to do that, I want to ask three questions. I want to ask them and answer them. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm not just asking. I want to answer them uh, from the scripture, okay? So uh, number one, why do we need counseling? Okay, counseling in general. Why do we need someone to speak truth into our life? Two, what kind of a counselor is this Messiah? What kind of counselor is Jesus? And three, how do we benefit from his counsel? How do we benefit from his counsel? So why do we need counseling? What kind of counselor is Jesus? And how do we benefit from his counsel? Number one, why do we need counseling? And the answer to that question is actually bound up in the context of this passage in Isaiah um, you should know that this prophecy was not um, given at Christmas time. It's 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Uh, it's in the Old Testament. And it was spoken into a really tough uh, situation, a real-life situation. Uh, the year was 730 B.C., and King Ahaz was currently on the throne, and he was freaking out because Assyria was forming an army to attack Jerusalem. And he was wondering the best way to defend himself. You see this throughout the prophets. Should we make alliances with pagan nations? Should we trust in something other than God to deliver us? And ultimately, um, Isaiah says to Ahaz, don't worry about it. God's got you. He's going to send a sign. And ultimately, it's going to be fulfilled in this, the birth of this son. And it was a, there was a temporary fulfillment in Isaiah's day. There was a child born even then. But ultimately, you'll see that the prophecy would be fulfilled in Jesus. Um, Jesus was the son born of a virgin who would be the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Um, Again, there's no way that a human, a regular human baby could fulfill all those titles. And one of the best ways to think about this in terms of prophecy, I thought this was really helpful. Uh, I heard it described this way, that there is an immediate fulfillment in much of the prophecy in the Old Testament. But right behind it is a future, like truer fulfillment. And, and, and the best analogy I've heard is it's almost like um, a mountain range. If you were to look at a mountain range, you can see the first mountain. And from far away, right, like a whole mountain range, it looks like there's like three mountains, maybe two. And then the closer you get, there's more and more and more of them. And they're actually really far apart. 
uh, the closer you get. Uh, they look like they're right next to each other, but the closer you get, um, there, there's like one mountain and then there's another mountain. And it's one mountain range, uh, but they're further apart than you realize. And that's often how biblical prophecy works. There's a first fulfillment and then an ultimate fulfillment. Now, you might wonder, like, how does a prophecy about the birth of a Messiah that wouldn't come for 700 years answer the problem that a king whose city is being conquered uh, has? And for a lot of people, you might think this yourself, like about Christmas. Like, how does the birth of Jesus impact my life today? Like, I've got practical, real problems. It's 2020. I got furloughed or I got laid off or my marriage is struggling because we're always in the same room together. Or I'm more aware of the loneliness that comes with planes. Because um, on paper, like, the Christmas story is, is nice. I don't think anyone hates it but it might feel like it doesn't really change much for us. The Christmas story can kind of feel like a holiday rom-com, like a Hallmark kind of story. By the way, does anyone like those movies, right? More people than I expect always. It can feel like a holiday rom-com or it can feel like, uh, whatever, a, a playoff game, a sporting event. It's, it's a sweet escape to escape what's in front of us, but it doesn't really change much of what is going on in our life. But the birth of Jesus actually, it addresses our greatest problem. It, it impacts our real world more than you could know. Because in sending Jesus, God was dealing with our biggest problem at its core. He wasn't just treating the symptoms, he was treating the root of the issue because the root of all of our problems, and this ultimately is why we need counseling, because we have problems. Look at your neighbor and say, I have problems. Yeah, you do too, don't judge me, right? Everyone here, whether you want to admit it or not, you have problems. That's true of humanity. Every family is somewhat dysfunctional. Every church, spiritual families are somewhat dysfunctional. Every person has broken or sinful tendencies, whether they want to admit them or not. Every person sitting here has blind spots, whether you know them or not, right? We have problems. And oftentimes we think we can solve our own problems, that's why we don't think we need counsel from outside of ourselves. But often, I don't know if you've noticed this, you get yourself in more trouble than anyone else does. Maybe that's just me. But I feel like you've talked yourself into some stupid things over the years, right? Purchases, relationships, things you had to have became things you wish you didn't have, right? And that's true at a micro level in our day-to-day -day life. That's true of our worlds. Um, before World War I, the belief among many intellectuals was that as science kept making advances and education was spread to the masses, that we were just around the river bend about to enter into a utopia. But what we did was as science and technology progressed, our hearts were still wicked. And what we did was World War I and World War II, and we killed more people than had ever been killed in, in, in wars uh, in the shortest time period ever. Albert Einstein published the theory of relativity. We decided to move that to nuclear weapons. The internet allows us to share very important information. The internet allows us to have our information stolen readily. Um, we have surveillance. I was, talking, I, I was driving my friend to the airport who's out of town right now. I'm not going to tell you who it is because I don't you to rob his house. He was just he was saying, hey, uh, in the future, I think I'm going to get one of those ring cameras. I like it. It's kind of like a little surveillance thing at your house. I was like, yeah, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about it. Uh, I feel kind of weird. He's like, why? Because like, they could, like, 
I don't know, people could like look at you and, uh, and you might think I'm paranoid, but, but ultimately um, all around the world, right? Like tyrannical governments use surveillance to like oppress people. So it could be used to keep yourself secure, uh, could take you over. Phones, the iPhone in your pocket could be used to connect yourself to other family members who aren't around you. And it's the number one reason you're not connecting with the family you're with at your dinner table. The year, oh, we get an applause on that, all right? So the year is 2020, right? And we have more access to information and education than we ever have. And we're watching our political process become less stable, not more stable. But we're supposed to be more educated than we've ever been. Why is that? Because humans are not stable by nature. We're like our early 90s hip hop group. We're naughty by nature. Our hearts are not what they should be. And technology and education, they are gifts from God. Science is a gift from God, but it doesn't heal or transform your hearts. And the same technology that can be used to share life-saving information in a pandemic or gospel preaching can be used to share videos of the most disgusting illegal media possible that no one ever could get access to before. So I want you to see that, that, that we can't fix our own problems. One scholar put it this way, we cry out to be delivered from bad health. God wants to deliver us from the curse of death that causes bad health. We cry out to be delivered from injustice and broken relationships. God wants to deliver us from the sin and selfishness that break those relationships. We cry out for victory in battle. God promised a Messiah who takes away the hatred that drives us into battle in the first place. Jesus comes to restore us to himself and solve the root of all of our problems. But our experience of that restoration is connected to the relationship we have to the wonderful counselor. And, and, and I want to get into this uh, on the back end, but first what I want to a- answer is this question, what kind of counselor is Jesus? What kind of a counselor is Jesus? Um, and by the way, d- don't just think like therapist when you think counselor. That's not a bad way. Uh, someone speaking in your life. Think, you could think strategist. You could think of the way that people would come to kings in the Old Testament for, for, for counsel. It's, it's you need someone to speak into a situation in your life. It could be a close friend's. But when you think about the people you want to speak in your life, there are a couple of things you look for. One is that they understand at some level where you are coming from. They are empathetic or sympathetic, right? No one, think, now, think about therapy for a second. No one wants to sit down with a therapist, for example, and in your first appointment you sit down and the therapist looks right back at you and says, that's what you're sad about? I have people with way worse problems that come into this office all the time. Oh my, you, are you kidding me? That's why you're sad, right? No one wants that. No one wants a counselor like that. But you also wouldn't want a counselor who is super empathetic, but more overwhelmed by your problems than you are, right? You sit down, they're like, wow, this is really bad. You have been through some ish, man. This is not good. This is really bad. You should, never should have had to experience that in your family or in that relationship. That was so wrong. It wasn't your fault, but there's not much hope here. You're like, I'm only 23. They're like, yeah, sorry. I've got to, we're at 55 minutes, so I've got to wrap this up. But I feel really bad, right? No, here's the beauty of Jesus, our wonderful counselor. He knows what it's like, and he knows what you need. He knows where you're coming from better than you do. But he has way more wisdom than you have. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 15, 
it says this. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way. Say every way with me. Every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is not just a king who rules over us. According to the book of Hebrews, he's a high priest. According to the book of Hebrews, he's also a brother who lived among us. He walked among us. He lived among us. That's what Christmas is all about. It's God entering human history, which means this, Jesus is the only God who knows what it's truly like to be human. I have friends who um, grew up uh, Muslim or grew up um, uh, Hindu and uh, who are now followers of Jesus. And they, they go, man, the idea of God just, just fully taking on humanity and, 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 and choosing to be that for a season is crazy. Uh, so my Jewish friends uh, as well, this is what we believe as followers of Jesus, that God entered human history, that he willingly chose to take on the limitations of a human being. He became a baby and nursed at a breast. He let a teen mom change his diaper. He was born in a stable. This is very human. He ate food. He used the restroom. He got tired. He got angry. He got sad. And so he knows what it's like. For example, he knows what it's like to be poor to deal with financial insecurity. He grew up in a poor family. Um, for example, Jesus was born in a stable, which means Joseph lacked the money to secure proper lodging for his pregnant wife. Now, again, if you're looking at, like last night, I was with my kids looking at our nativity scene. It's super cute. It also looks a lot prettier than it would have actually looked. It likely was a cave, not a like craftsman, boho, you know, outdoor festival-ready ranch situation. And think about this. It's 2020, which means um, I know way more about women's birthing plans than I should. Like we talk about, but I just feel like in, in our culture today, it's like, what's your birthing plan? You going natural, you're not going natural. You going doula, you going nurse. I'm like, why do we need to know? But that's where we are as a culture. I've never heard of like the Bethlehem method. I've, 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 we've had dozens of babies born in our church. We've had many friends, you know, we had, you know, my wife had three children. And um, I've never heard of the lady that was like, man, Bethlehem method, I want to be freezing. I want to smell like animal feces. That's my go-to. No, that's something you do when you're in poverty and you're stuck. I was actually, um, I was on a call um, with a spiritual director recently, and he was praying for me, and we're talking about the idea of shame, and I just had this memory as a kid um, of going to the grocery store, and it kind of just caught me by surprise. It was after my parents got divorced, and I just remember us, it like totally threw me for a loop, but I remember us um, walking to a, like a bargain grocery store, and us getting groceries, and at the time it didn't impact me, I didn't feel weird at all, um, I, remember I, I, did see, I, I saw a guy, I saw a kid I knew, and I felt a little weird, and I was like thinking back to it and this idea, and I just remember I felt so ashamed that we didn't have a car, and that we were going to the grocery store we were, and that we walked like a mile with groceries in like the 90s, and I had this weird sense of, oh my God, man, I felt really ashamed of that. I felt embarrassed, that Jesus goes, man, I know um, what it's like to be poor. 
Um, he also knows what it's like for your family to think you're crazy. In Mark 3, Jesus' family thinks he's gone way too far with his faith. They actually show up. They're like, we got to take him out of here. He needs help. Uh, you know, like, it's okay to have a little religion, bro, but, like, you've, you've gotten really into this Messiah thing. Faith's okay. It just shouldn't take up too much, you know, time, money, emotion. You're going a little too far with this, Jesus. He knows what it's like to lose someone you love. John chapter 11, Lazarus dies, Jesus weeps. Don't let that get lost on you. He weeps. And he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And just like we can have a hope as followers of Jesus that all of our loved ones will come back from the dead if they put their faith in it. It doesn't take away the sting in the short term. Um, He knows what it's like to be betrayed and used. Anyone ever been betrayed? A close friend, a business partner, a spouse were not who you thought they were, and they even took advantage of you. For me, one of the hardest parts of leading isn't when I make mistakes and hurt people, because I can always apologize for that. One of the hardest parts is when I feel like I've done everything I can for someone, and then they tell me it's, it's awful and, 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 and talk poorly. It, it, Jesus goes, man, I, I know what that's like. He washed, I know what that's like even more. I washed Judas's feet the night he betrayed me. Uh, he knows what it's like to have people gossip about you or slander you. The religious leaders were often telling people behind his back that he was evil. They were actively seeking out a way to have him murdered. And on top of that, Jesus likely grew up with a teen mom who was pregnant before she was married in a small town in this society. I promise you there were rumors. There was talk. Another thing Jesus knows about is he knows what it's like to be a minority in the middle of a nation that had a long history of oppressing people like him. Rome mistreated the Jews and anyone who wasn't a part of their dominant culture, who was not a citizen, who was not Roman. If you were not Roman, you could be beaten, enslaved, your property could be confiscated. You were not guaranteed a fair trial in a court of law if you even made it to court with your life. There's been a lot of emphasis um, this past year on white people listening to people of color, and I think that's good. But I'll never be able to fully understand exactly what a black or a brown person has gone through in our society, fully. I'll never know what it's like for my Jackie's grandpa bishop to be told he couldn't swim in a swimming pool or was told that his cousin was likely lynched and no longer alive and walking around with that fear day in and day out. I, I, I do not know what that is like. I don't fully understand, but what I want my brothers and sisters of color to know is that Jesus does, like he really does. He knows what injustice really is, and from a human perspective, he, he knows what an unjust death penalty case looks like. He lived it. Jesus knows what it's like to be afraid. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying if there is any other way than to go to the cross to experience both physically and spiritually what I'm about to experience. If there's any other way, I, this is not what I want to do. I will do it. Right? Courage isn't the absence of fear. It's moving forward when you are afraid. But that's not something he wanted to do. He knows what it's like to be a refugee. Jesus' family escaped to Egypt. 
while Herod was slaughtering babies, they, they, they had to go, and they were a people of no nation. Jesus knows what it's like to be single. And right now, he knows what it's like to wait on a spouse. Again, to my single brothers and sisters, I want you to know that in an American church that has made an idol of marriage and implicitly communicated that if you aren't married, you don't matter, Jesus goes, I wasn't married and I matter. Like kind of a lot. And he's currently waiting for his bride. He's yearning for her. He knows what it's like to feel alone on the cross, naked, exposed, experiencing by himself the weight of God's wrath, taking our penalty in our place. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. If Jesus commits sin, he cannot be the perfect sacrifice that you and I need, which means he got Satan's A game, guys. The temptations were major leak. He knows what it's like to be misunderstood. I was talking to a friend of mine recently, and she was saying that at the holidays, one of the hardest parts of visiting family is when she feels misunderstood. And I wanted to say to her, what I want to say to you is that Jesus, he knew that, what that was like. On the, cross, on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We don't have to be fully understood by others. We don't have to get the last word because our wonderful counselor understands us. He lives a life that you and I cannot live and then dies the death that you and I deserve to die. Also, not only does Jesus know what it's like by experience, but he was without sin. which means that he has a perfect love. His eyes are on you. He's not distracted by, the thing that keeps you from being present with people is your selfishness. He doesn't have that. There's no selfishness inside of him. So he fully sees you. He loves you more than you love yourself. So what kind of counselor is Jesus? He knows where you came from, but he also knows what you need. Jesus can empathize with us, but he also isn't overwhelmed by our problems. He knows at different times we need grace and other times we need truth. He knows sometimes um, we need someone to cry with us and sometimes we need someone to k- kick us in the butt. Also, the thing that I love about our wonderful counselor is he assumes we have needs. He assumes we have problems. It says, in your time of need, come and get the grace and mercy you need. He's not a God that's like, you have problems? Are you kidding me? He's not a deity going, get it together and then I'll love you. He goes, come here, let me walk with you. He assumes you're going to have needs. One of the things I assume about my kids every day is they're going to have needs. And they're not going to be shy to bring them to me. Last night, putting the finishing touches on this sermon, my daughter freaked out. I heard her yelling and screaming. She was, it was anger. It was anger. I come down. I go, sweetie, what's going on? And she said, Clive stepped on my foot and he didn't even realize it. And he just kept talking. And, and, and again, she's feeling disregarded. She's feeling unseen. She's feeling hurt. And she's, she's wanting to, I'm going to make you pay attention to me, which adults still do. And I had to say, sweetie, it's okay. Hey, he didn't know. You can talk to him about it. He apologized. And I said, but, but, but you don't have to, to, to respond this way. She's like, but dad, I needed your help. I, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. I just lost control. She said that. I said, we all lose control and we all need help. Jesus, infinitely more than that, understands us. He doesn't shut us down. He engages, but he goes, hey, you can respond to this differently. I have wisdom that you need. 
Um, last thing I was going to say is this is how do we benefit from his counsel? How do we benefit from his counsel? There's two key ways. Um, also, when you think you're just like, if you're going to get counsel from anyone, um, you could have the best counselor in the world in front of you, the best consultant for a business, um, the best um, recovery person if you're struggling with addiction, the best coach if you're a basketball player. And if you are not honest with them about where you're at, they can't help you. Do you know that? You can lie through your teeth. People go, this happens all the time. I talk to counselors. People lie through their teeth at counseling. It's confidential. They tell anyone they can lose their license and their livelihood. And you're like, man, I'm gonna, I want to impress my counselor. Like, well, dude, who are you going to be real with? There's a tendency in all of us to want to keep the real truth about our problems concealed. Because ever since the fall, we assume if you knew the real me, you wouldn't love me. Or if you love me, it's because you don't know the real me. Jesus goes, I already know the real you and I love you. Let's get to work. I'm not overwhelmed by your brokenness and your sin and your weakness. But we have to talk about that thing in your life because I love you. This isn't about punishment. This is about discipline and correction so you can become who God's, who I've created you to be. You're, you can't stop working. You're addicted to working. You might as well face it. You're addicted to love. That was, a good, that was an old school joke. Car got that. Yeah, yeah, right? Like, like romance and physical relationships, trying to keep PG you know, for the kids, right? Like it's not working for you. You're pursuing it in the wrong way. Some of us, we, we're caught up with decisions all the time, not because they're complicated, but because they're about more than we want to say. We're not honest about what's really going on in our hearts. And so the financial decision is more than a financial decision, and the relational decision is more than a relational decision. And, the, and so the honest, he's going to look at the honest truth behind what's going on, and, and um, we see this all throughout the Gospels, the way Jesus deals with people. He gets really honest. He asks a guy who can't walk, do you want to get well? Which just seems ridiculous. But he knows that there's advantages to victimhood. And there's advantages to a life you've been used to. And there's advantages to, do you see what I'm saying? He's going, hey, do you really want this? Let's get real. There's the woman at the well and, um, and John, and, and, and she's committed adultery, I think, five times. And the guy she's currently living with, she's not married to. And she wants to, she's, so she's, you know, he's like, hey, you've bounced around from relationship to relationship and um, physical relationship to physical relationship. And the guy you're living with now, you're you're kind of in adultery with now. And and what's funny about her, she does what we do. She's like, hey, can we talk about theology? Can we talk about critical race theory? Can we talk about Calvinism? Can we talk about end time stuff? He's like, no, let's talk about your heart, sweetie. I love you and I want something more for you. I understand theology of Jesus, but I want your heart. And if you're honest, you're not giving it to me. And if you're honest, you're not satisfied. There's nothing you can do that'll make the wonderful counselor go, ugh, I'm out of here, or I can't handle this. But we've gotta be honest about our starting point. The greatest surgeon in the world could be in the room with you and you may die of a condition that is healed by their surgery, but if you never tell them you have a condition, they can't help you. You've got to be honest. The other thing, though, and this one's tricky, is we've got to be honest with him, but we have to actually obey him. We have to do what he says. Uh, as a pastor, I've often met with people who tell me, oh, man, I, I tried Christianity. It just didn't work for me. 
it's kind of a weird thing to say. And I go, uh, what, do you, what do you mean by that? I'll ask them what they mean by, by tried Christianity. And usually it has nothing to do with Jesus or his teachings. And by tried Christianity, they, they went to church 12 times in 30 weeks. And um, they were inspired a few times, but it just didn't, wasn't their favorite thing. And I go, cool, um, that's, that's not trying Jesus. You might have kind of tried church. True Christianity is an apprenticeship to Jesus. It involves actually becoming like Jesus, our teacher, our rabbi, our king. It involves doing the things he did. Again, if you practice the relational principles of the New Testament, I promise your relationships will get better. I promise. Right, imagine going to a personal trainer, best one in the world. A friend of yours is like, I'm worried. You have a wealthy friend who's worried about your physical condition. They go, best trainer in the world. I'm paying 30 sessions. Let's do this. And you go to the sessions, and you never do the exercises. And you never, you never follow the nutritional plan. And, and, and 10 weeks later, you don't have results. 20 weeks later, you don't have results. 30 weeks later, you don't have results. Like, this is a garbage trainer. It's like, no, you're a garbage trainee. That was harsh. I didn't mean to say it that way. This is a hypothetical. This trainer doesn't exist, right? But you go, you, you can't say that it didn't work because you didn't do it. Like, you didn't actually follow his teaching or her teaching. Okay, you have the greatest marriage therapist in the world, but if one or both parties don't ever listen to the therapist, they're not going to get better from the therapy. Do you see what I'm saying? And it's the same thing with following Jesus. We will not experience the benefits of the kingdom like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. If we want to just do life our way and go, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm following myself or something, someone other than him will get the same results. In James chapter 1, verses 5 to 7, it says, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. Again, God assumes you're going to need wisdom you don't have. He's a good, good father. He's generous with his wisdom. He's not like, oh, you need wisdom. He's like, I'd love to counsel you. I love you. Verse 6, but let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And the word, uh, the, the phrase doubter there is the idea of double-minded. It's not like um, intellectual doubt. It's like I've already decided what I'm going to do. Like, I, I, does that make sense? Like, I'm not coming to God for wisdom. I'm coming to God for comfort. You guys ever done that before? You go, to, you, you go to someone for advice, but you're going for confirmation. Does that make sense? I've done this more times than I care to admit. Um, but we all do it. And sometimes James says we even do it with God. We go, hey, are, uh, can you... Uh, I'd like to date this person, you know, who's not a follower of Jesus, but I think it'd be really good if they knew him and, and maybe that could work or, you know, is that, is that a good idea? Are you? He's like, no. Hey, I'm thinking about like um, spending all my money on a really expensive sports car I can't afford and, um, and is, that, is that no, right? I'm going to share this uh, prayer need I have um, with everyone in the church. I'm going to share uh, my friend's prayer need with everyone at church because I care about them. So it's like, oh, you're right. It's like, oh, that's gossip, right? We can go on and on and on. We go, hey, I, 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 God, I'm thinking about buying this house I can't afford in a neighborhood that's far away from everything that's important to me. 
um, is that what you want? And he's like, no. And you're like, okay, cool. I was thinking the same thing. I'm going to do it. He goes, man, you shouldn't expect wisdom if that's your posture because you don't really want to know. And by the way, we all have the tendency to do this, guys. We have to be ready to do what he says when he asks for wisdom. Uh, this this uh, idea, I have one last idea. This is really helpful. Um, uh, this was so helpful. Um, when you think about the idea of asking God to speak into your life, a lot of times we're like, God, what, what, do, you, what do you want from me? And we don't really listen, you know? Um, I've heard it described this way. It's, it's the difference between a blank check and a gift card. A blank check and a gift card. So when you buy a gift card around the holidays, what you're saying is I'm giving, I'm giving Mackenzie Wise $75 at I don't know where. I don't know where, wherever you want to go. Pick me and get one plant, right? Uh, $75. And when you hit 7501, that penny's on you. It's over, right? It's on you. A blank check. Remember the movie? Does anyone remember the movie Blank Check? I feel like none of you guys. Okay, cool. It's a fun kids movie, uh, right? You give a blank check. You're saying unlimited access to this account that this check's tied to. And in James, this is what God's saying to us is, is uh, your life's a blank check. He's talking surrender. He's talking obedience. He's saying, do you want to follow me? Do you trust me? The word for faith in the New Testament is synonymous with trust. The righteous live by faith. The righteous live by trust. We trust him. When we get to a space where his wisdom contradicts what we want, and if, he's, if his wisdom always lines up with what we want, it's us talking to ourselves. There's going to be times. I'm not saying God always gives you the hard thing to do. Sometimes he gives you some really sweet, amazing things that are easier than they should be, and his grace is tremendous. But there's going to be some times where... where Obeying Jesus isn't what you want to do naturally. Does that make sense? And in those moments, does he have the access to that? Jesus, I'll follow you to any nation in the world except for these 190 of them. Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll, you know what? I'll, I'll, I want to get on a church planning team to the city neighborhood of my choice. I'll follow you, I'll, follow, I'll, I'll plant a church in, in a neighborhood where I can have a better house, Lord. I'll, I'll follow you, right? Like, like we put all these caveats on it, but we go, Lord, what do you want from me? I'll give you this much money, not a, pen, not a penny more. I'll trust you with this relationship, just not this one. Are we willing to do what he says? All throughout the gospels, Jesus gives people instructions that make no sense. Now, have you guys noticed that? They're like, man, we can't pay our taxes. He's like, go catch a fish. There'll be a penny in there. <laughs> what? How can I feed all these people? Just pass out the food. I can't see. Let me put some mud on your eyes and spit on it. We need a donkey. Just go ahead and be like, hey, I need this donkey. The Lord said so. That'd be like if I was like, hey, guys, uh, just go grab a car out there. And Liberty's just grab the first Bentley you see, grab it. Say, my pastor needs it. It'll be fine. Gives them all, right? There's all these moments. And then there's other moments where, right, he, he says, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. Or to the rich young ruler, he says, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He's not saying you have to sell everything you have to be saved, but he knew for this guy, he loved his wealth more than anything else. This was the thing that was off limits to Jesus. And it was keeping him from experiencing abundant life. Does that make sense? And so in closing, I just want to ask you guys, do you know this wonderful counselor who is safe, 
He's safer and more approachable than the best parent who ever lived. He loves you more than you know. He knows what you need more than you need, and he has more wisdom than you could ever fathom. Is your life open before him? So I'll call uh, Marielle up here. Um, I also wanted to open it up uh, for prayer this morning. I think, honestly, if we're real, guys, this is like we all need his counsel. We all have decisions. We all have things maybe we haven't been honest about. And so I just want to ask you, do you will you be open um, before him? And so, um, by the way, everyone here, we already covered it. You all have problems, okay? So I'm going to open up for prayer. Um, they will with masks on. Uh, there will be prayer counselors over here by the sign. Uh, they'll spread out, distanced. Um, they'll wear masks, but they would love to pray for you. If you're willing, maybe you throw some sanitizer on, touch your shoulder. If you've got a green and, and, and you're cool with it, they'll ask. But we'd love to pray for you. We'd love for you to encounter this wonderful counselor this morning and let him speak into you. Words of truth, words of love, words of life, words of understanding, words of challenge. Again, Christianity, it's an organic, vital relationship. It's not just a set of ideas you believe. It's a person you know. And so I'm, I'm asking you guys, would you open yourself up to, to this wonderful counselor to receive from him this morning? So would you guys stand with me um, for worship? Mara, you cool the strum for a sec while I pray. Jesus, would we see you as this wonderful counselor who came for us? Would, would we know that you know where we've been, but you also know what we need? You have wisdom we need and love we need and grace we need and hope we need and joy we need. Lord, for those who... who, who are clear on their needs this morning, would you meet them with solutions, with miracles, with healings, also just with your presence, which at times is your answer for our problem. I've got you and I'm with you in the midst of this thing. But Lord, would you meet us as needy people? The gospel says we are needy and you are generous. You generously meet our needs in the cross and in the resurrection and in our day-to-day -day lives. Lord, would we encounter you meeting our needs this morning? Also, would, would we know that someone gets us this morning? I think about the men and women who feel like I have a unique situation that no one else understands, and they're right, no one understands but you. They encounter you understanding them this morning. And then from that space go, as the one who understands me, what do you have for me? Would you give us gifts this morning, Jesus? Wonderful counsel, would you give out truth and encouragement and grace? Would you lead uh, the prayer team as they pray? And would you give us the things that we need? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, we're going to song again. If you want prayer, I think um, these three ladies, I think we have some guys, I think uh, the elders will be over there too, uh, masked up and, and ready to pray. Uh, I'm going to get prayer, just so you guys know, so it's not awkward. And um, we'll see what Jesus does this morning. Love you guys.